This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of What Most People Think. I am still at the fringe. I'm still being a tight bastard. I'm now living in different student accommodation after my wife was up. Um, obviously, I treated her to the high life for Jury's Inn in the centre of town. And with the smallest fucking family room, family room doesn't just mean that it's got two beds in it, okay? It means space for a family, Jury's Inn, if anybody's listening. Uh, but I did an incredibly tight thing. Uh, I, we At one point, we got a meal deal and we ate it back at the hotel. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't laugh out on some fancy meals, but I think in this economy... What you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to economise where you can. And, and I'll, I'll never forget the resentful look on my wife and son's face as they were eating a Sainsbury's meal deal in a jury's inn. Uh, but anyway, we've got a guest with us this week who is Constantine Kissing, completing a sort of double bill from uh, Trigonometry, as we had Francis Foster uh, a couple of weeks ago. Constantine, you were briefly up at the fringe and now you're not at the fringe. How happy does that make you? Very, very happy, Jeff. Uh, and by the way, can I just complain right off the bat? You've got me doing this at 9am in the morning, Jeff. This is cruel and unusual punishment. Ha- yeah. How are you up at 9am in the morning, mate? What do you mean up? I haven't gone to bed, mate. You know, <laughs> legend. But you, you've got a kid. Surely you should be up at this time. Uh, I am up at this time. That does not mean that my brain's working either, mate. So let, let's see how this goes. <laughs> no, I think we'll warm up very nicely because I'm going to get you on a subject that I know exercises you quite immensely. Is, is the fringe... Well, you started well. Sorry to interrupt, by the way, because you, you were talking all about saving money. I, I literally was hoping you would go. And, and my guest today is a Jew, so he would appreciate this. <laughs> I would have loved that. <laughs> well, that would be a massive shout, wouldn't it, for, a, <laughs> for me to say. And speaking of saving money, we've got... Hey. Big Jew, Constantine Kissing on the show. Uh, in terms of the fringe, uh, I know you're up here briefly and you, and you had some thoughts that you, you shared about the future of the fringe. I, I wonder if you could just give them a, a quick sort of uh, a quick summary now of the kind of thing you were saying about how performers treat the fringe going forward. Well, it's kind of like what uh, Francis and I were talking about on, on Joe Rogan. I mean, I know that you talked to him and he probably Hang, hang about... on, how long, how long did we get in before we mentioned <laughs> Joe Rogan? So we've done, what, three minutes? Uh, my friend Joe, this is what we were saying to him. No, yeah. but but seriously though, like um, uh, the point, I, I know that he, you, you and him probably talked about him saying that all British comics are shit or whatever it is that he said, this incendiary bomb that you just threw yes, into the middle yeah. of the conversation. And by the way, th- I, can I just put on the record, right? I got all the crap for that, even though I don't actually <laughs> agree with it and I didn't say it. Um, but uh, but that is, that's the way of trigonometry, mate. Francis, no, that's not true. Usually it's me that says the incendiary thing and it's me that gets most of the shit. And I think people just went, look, they both kind of said it. Let's just give all the crap to Constantine. Mm. Um, but in terms of the fringe, uh, I just uh, I don't see that there's much of a future. In it. And this is the point that I made uh, then. You know, I in 2019, I went up to Edinburgh. Uh, I did my show called Orwell That Ends Well. I sold I, I can't remember. I think it's 97 or 93. But like in the in the mid to high 90s percent of my tickets. Can, can we just briefly break out to discuss the the, the history of the title there? Because I enjoy this story. Yes, I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> well, I uh, knew because you were doing tour support with me and I knew you had a good show up your sleeve and you talked to me about it and we were driving yeah. down to Exeter, I think, and I was like, this is all great. And you're saying it's about free speech and it's about kind of like wrong think and sort of all these Orwellian themes. And then I said to you, what's the title going to be? And you said... And- and I had some shit. T- I don't even remember. I think it was like white, black Russian or something. I, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and whatsoever. I laughed because it's so it's so was unconnected. You had this great show up yeah. your sleeve. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to claim, you know, 
uh, credit for the title Orwell that ends no no Jeff, Jeff you're absolutely right I could not have got on Joe Rogan without you mate yeah well I mean that's kind of what I was what I was driving at. Um, <laughs> but, you, but like you say you you went up to the fringe you, you, you sold a shitload of tickets in 2019 well I sold almost all my tickets and if it hadn't been for the fact that I used to live in Edinburgh and I have friends to stay with in Edinburgh I would have lost money yeah yeah. Right. So that to me, you know, coming from a someone who used to run his own business, not not for the love of it, but for money, mm. that didn't really make any sense to me. That is not a, that. No, no, you I know, know, I know. Surprisingly, uh, that doesn't make sense. So that's number one. And so I, I've always thought, n- no offense to the people who are involved in it, because they will feel like they're doing an important job or whatever. But to me, Edinburgh is a parasitic thing that feeds off the desperation of most comedians who go there with with the belief that they are going to you know turn their career onto the next step of the life i'm mixing my metaphors here man i'm like a football commentator at this point that's that's your Uh, 9am metaphor there yeah yeah but they, they go there in 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 the deluded usually belief that you know this is their like the last shot like like the guy who spunks all his money on red on on the roulette you know at the casino yeah. but they've been there nine times before and it really hasn't worked and for most of them it never will um and so and, and look i i get it because if you feel like you've got no other way out of what what you're doing then it can feel like it's the only choice that you have and i, I understand but what I'm trying to get across to people, and look, you, you've obviously made a success of it. And part of the reason is, you know, you were, you were very successful on TV and stuff like that. But also now you've got this, you've got stuff that you're doing of your own that only belongs to you, that's on the internet and you're contacting your fans directly and they will then come out and see you in Edinburgh and in wherever else you go, right? So I'm not, a, I'm not someone who's saying like Edinburgh shouldn't exist, but I think the future of it for most people is going to be you bring your own audience and that's a place where you sell some tickets to an audience that you already have. And the, and the other thing, and I, I don't know if you saw this, the, uh, the Scotsman reviewer Kate Copstick was talking about the kind of atmosphere at the fringe. And she, she's written this article about the, I think she saw the, the stranglingly joyless uh, atmosphere uh, at the fringe. Now, now some of this was sort of precipitated by uh, the cancellation of uh, uh, Jerry Sadovich's show, which kind of sort of, sort of spun the spotlight on, on just how free performers uh, are being. And, and she kind of thinks that, that there is a, a sort of like risk aversion in performers now where where all they'll really do and i've thought this for a while is they'll kind of think well i can be mean about myself or i could i can be satirized myself i'll excavate every single thing that's going on in my brain and and, and therefore you get a lot of performers coming out as as, as adhd you know or, or on the spectrum or, or a little or, dig at francis there i like it mate oh is he adhd oh absolutely mate does yeah. he go does he go on about it he does. He loves it. He they loves they it, love. They love being ADHD. I mean, can we? Yeah, just... you, you've caught. You're a comedian, of course. You've got ADHD, mate. But yeah, they kind of like. It's gone from being a thing. They sort of smiles. They tell you, don't you? So uh, yeah, I'm 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 ADHD now. And, and and there's this this rumor that part of the reason that a lot of people are being diagnosed as ADHD is there's this medical grade speed that you can get. <laughs> Once, so this is classic comedians. They do something that seems really brave and honest, but actually, all they want is some uh, subject matter for their Edinburgh show and some good gear. That that makes perfect sense to me. And you, you know, um, the, the other thing. So we'll talk about Kate in a second. But I was going to also say is the structure by which someone like you gets to where they are no longer exists. Right, the the ladder that you the greasy ladder up which you climbed mm. is I'm not <laughs> let's be clear I'm not blaming you I'm not saying you no no I hope that the ladder has been fully pulled up <laughs> and, and incinerated uh the main talking point from last week's show we were talking about the sort of Nordic um the Nordic thing of of taking the dad's first name and then adding son or sen on the end of it you know Ericsson Haridas and this kind of thing uh it's only Iceland that maintains the Viking patronymic naming system and I just wanted to reference that because we have a name for it the Viking patronymic naming system where surnames reflecting the first name of the child's father or occasionally mother see I mean nothing is fucking sacred right 
even in Iceland, they're falling prey to this shit uh, of the child rather than this historic family lineage. Uh, and as a result, I think this is very interesting. First names have to be approved by the Icelandic Naming Committee. I mean, the Icelandic Naming Committee just does sound like a Monty Python sketch. Right, we are the Icelandic Norman Naming Committee. That's a ridiculous name. But it did make me think that maybe we should have naming committees to just stop kids having fucking weird names. Like every time a, a rock star gets a name, and and they want to like call their kid naked bar or you know <laughs> you know or, or pear tree close or something like that that maybe a naming committee would be a, be a good thing i mean how when it came to naming your child how how much forethought did you give about the social and political implications of that name well we have first of all we have the patronymic system in russian it's slightly different right. but basically we don't have middle names but the russian middle name is your dad's name mm. with a bit of a, a, a bit of flair on the end. Um, so, so my son is Nikolai and his, his full name is Nikolai Konstantinovich. So Konstantin mm. on the end. Um, so I'm insulted at the mockery of, of the patronymic system. Uh, um, but yeah. Well, the, look, I mean, the, could I just say that my dad's name was Jeff Norcott. So we, that's not really? even a patronymic name. That's just the same fucking name two generations I you're mean, like the the neville family yeah yeah because but, well he's he, their, their dad is called neville neville isn't he i believe i believe he is yeah and that's one so, of those things that's never not so funny. you're so in america you'd be jeff jr you'd be junior well there was a thought when my son was born that i was going to call him jeff norcott the third because I the just, third <laughs> <laughs> i thought he'd have to become a he'd have to become a golfer uh, at that point uh new yeah. patrons just a, a a note here i'm looking to do an online show the first one in a while so if you are a patron and you're interested in what benefits uh it provides or you're thinking about joining up that is coming obviously there's the patreon only episode which will be coming uh, uh next week we've got new patrons uh kate Watkiss. Kate Watkiss. I just feel like a lot of people, women's names sound like uh, sort of sports stars now. And I don't know if this is like BBC Five Live and everything, just constantly like doing women's sport. But Kate Watkiss sounds like a sort of retired hockey player. Mm. Uh, and Linda Smith-Blaine sounds like the Scotland women's goalkeeper. <laughs> Mate, you have found a way to monetize Middle England, haven't you? Every time I'm on your show, the, like I think there's there's ever only been like one slightly foreign sounding name in mm. the history of the show it's like pure gammon oh no no so I'm, I'm that racist i refuse to say them <laughs> I, I i anglicize their names i just call them all dave i call them all dave um, dave <laughs> so we are uh, obviously the board members uh we have the board member system do you know about this whereby no. th this is how how much i'm off the grid do you know what i mean i don't take advertising on my podcast not only that i have a tier that i don't even advertise on patreon this is an unofficial thing whereby if you want to up your investment in what most people think to 20 quid a month, you are then a board member. Uh, you get consulted on issues in and around the management and the promotion of the podcast. Like what? I, I don't know yet. I'm still thinking about it. Um, and, and, and also, <laughs> this is exactly what Romish did. It sounds a bit scammy, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. This is exactly what Romish did, you know, but I came out the other side and we, we had more board members and board members also, you know, in the main podcast, because VIP patrons get guaranteed questions in the VIP only in the patreon only uh, episode but board members will get questions in the main thing so later on when we'll be talking about your book of course there will be questions mm. uh, urgent questions from the board okay just a quick thank you and a fuck you i know you've got a thank you and a fuck you i've just got a thank you i want to thank my son for doing my offstage announcement uh, at the edinburgh fringe he was up over the weekend and we would he was going to help me do these sort of like tech rehearsal which for comics is just going hello hello okay fine making sure the mic works but a true showbiz sort of lineage that he represents, he, he sort of talks up his part. Like he sort of was like, you know, I wonder if I could do something else. I was like, okay. And then so I thought I'd give him a go at doing the offstage announcement uh, to announce me onto stage. And then immediately I was racked with anxiety because I thought he's six now. He's in that territory where first memories are formed. And it's interesting when they get to that, Constantine, because it's almost like kind of sort of like uh, musical chairs. You don't want to be the one who it lands on with a bad memory. <laughs> Dude, fuck, you'll remember that forever. And we just did a little bit of practice because, you know, it's like with comedy, you know, just just get the words out. And, and he fucking nailed it, the boy. He only went and nailed it. So That's I, awesome, man. So I said to the uh, the sold out audience that were sitting there, I said, oh. I said, welcome to, I mean, no, no, the, the venue, the venue is an upper middle sized venue, but I, I'm still I'm still happy with it. It's still the fringe. Right. Um, 
And I said, welcome to the Frisian. Uh, the next voice you hear may or may not be my son. And he went, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Jeff Norcott. And he threw in the little intonation. And then the audience w- went wild, right? But then this is the f- problem with the Frisian. Fucking hell, mate. He's got a deep voice for a six-year-old. <laughs> a lot of people have already asked me about union rules and all that sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> but the funny thing about the Fringe is I then went, I then went, uh, I then went please give up for my son. And they gave it a nice cheer. And then I went backstage and leaned round and said, okay, you got to go now. Mate. You know, and then they were all like, I, and I could tell something was weird. And then, it, then afterwards, it turns out, no one believed that that was actually him doing it live, which you, I think one is a testament to how hard he nailed it, that it mm. sounded like a pre-record, but also that there's so many little dramatic fucking devices at this festival that people have sort of forgotten that real stuff can actually happen. You know? mm. Well, I mean, it's I, true. I had a walkout. That's, that's a really good observation, man. I, uh, would you want your son to be a comedian? He's got a little taste of the joke coke now. Uh, the joke coat, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I think that he he he's funny. He's a funny boy, but it's in a different way to me. Like he's just he's a he's got a natural sort of clowning element about him. So I I mean look like you say with the industry being out is I don't know in what way he could he could Mate, he's gonna be a prop comic. I mean that is you you want to be able to be proud of him, Jeff. Come on, mate. Look, Keep him, I would... steer him away from the clownage side of things. I could support any lifestyle choice my son made, but if he came back with a giant comedy gun and a hollow it's not natural (laughs) you know that is no you're quite right i've I've never even thought of that but let's hope let's hope that he uh he's a comedian as as god intended um your thank you and your fuck you uh it's the same one uh, which is the comedy industry we you and i haven't had a chance to talk about it but after uh, after we were on our friend uh, Joe's podcast, thanks to you, Jeff. Yeah, uh, the much. comedy industry had a massive meltdown. Of, of course, they did. But actually, I also were. You know, sometimes when you're being, you know, attacked by loads of people, whatever, it feels like, uh, you know, the whole world's against you sometimes. But there are lots of people in the comedy world like you who actually helped us along the way. You know, I remember. Uh, what an opportunity it was for me to open for you on tour and you were one of the people you know we talked about on Rogan about how the British comedy industry is very crabs in a bucket mentality you were never like that you know people like Simon Evans and and, and a bunch of us really always very supportive and you know to me it was inspirational watching you going out on tour playing to your own audience you gave me great advice you helped me pick the title of the show you know like all, all are we at the oscars stuff. now i feel like you know that bit where someone's doing the acceptance speech see you, see this is the problem with you british people man. i know i couldn't handle i couldn't You're handle uncomfortable the with real talk yeah <laughs> you, well i've come back from america and this is how i feel i'm yeah. gonna say no i really appreciate you i appreciate all the other people you know who helped me along the way um, and you know it, it meant a lot, so thank you. I, I, you, you, I do appreciate it, but you're absolutely right that my Britishness means that I don't quite know how to yeah, protest. You're contractually that. obliged to shout out, "I'm not gay, mate." Yeah, wank up, uh, wank up. No, he's, a, <laughs> he's appreciated, mate. And the, the getting back on more. That so- was that was the most British way. You totally deflected it. Just <laughs> don't let the emotion inside. Push it. I'll have a little. Oh, yeah, I really appreciate. It. Anyway, work. Uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll have a little cry afterwards. And, and on more safer territory for a male such as myself, the the fuck you. The British comedy industry, uh, you know, they spurred us on with uh, all the negativity and the crap. Uh, we've really done it in the wrong order for any other country. But in Britain, this is the right order to do it. And a thank you, which makes you feel emotionally uncomfortable. And then we can slag off everyone that we used to know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, I used to know rather. Yeah. So same thing. Uh, but I, in a way, thank you for all the, all the shit because it really spurs me on always. Okay, that's what I like. A little kick in the bollocks on the way out. All right, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things uh, this week. We're going to talk about the kind of general strikes, summer of chaos stuff, and then um, then I'll be taking a deep dive on Constantine's excellent book, An Immigrant's Love Letter to the Rest. But first up, let's get into these strikey bollocks. Okay, so obviously everyone's... Jeff, do you mind if I, I kick this section off by going, Jeff, you are the voice of the working man, mm. right? Can you explain this shit to me? I've not been paying attention because, you know, I'm, yeah. I've been in America. I, I don't know if I mentioned that before. Um, no, I've been, <laughs> I've been away. So I don't know what's going on. I just turned up and nothing fucking works and everyone's complaining. So what's going on? Yeah, I mean, nothing works and everyone's complaining. There's it, been a lot of that in British culture over the years, that feeling. But, I mean, it, it sort of feels like quite... 
true at the moment. Like, there's more stuff in that case. I mean, I will say this, right? So I was at a fringe show the other night, and there was a, there was a comic on stage, and oh, the world's burning, everything's wrong, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. And I just looked around at these middle class pricks who clearly been for a nice <laughs> meal before and were sipping mojitos. I was like, well. It's not like that now, right? So there is definitely a tendency to catastrophize, but certainly there are these problems. And, and you know, the inflation that is real, and then it's not just that, I think the perceived inflation, uh, and then the, the catastrophizing about the inflation coming down the track is what's leading a lot of people who feel that they haven't had pay rises for a while uh, to agitate. They feel like this is their time and it's sort of built up a groundswell of an opinion. I would say this. I think it's deeply fucking irresponsible. The, the press outlets that are now going, right, what's the most dystopian analysis of the next price cap? So at first it was we were looking ahead to the next one. Now we're looking ahead to three. Then we're looking ahead going the price cap in 2020 could be 10 grand a month for pensioners especially pensioners it could be we could actually raise prices for old women the older and the frailer they are another there's a 10 grand premium for geriatrics and and you know we're talking there was an article that said that inflation could be 18 percent in january and this is presuming that government does nothing right which is we all mm. know what we're waiting for at the moment is for liz trust to basically be have her coronation and then she wants to pull a rabbit out of the hat i have to say is that the most responsible thing for a government to be doing? Like there's there's businesses and there's people worried now. You know, they want their bounce in the polls. I get it on one level, but it does. I don't know. I don't know what you think, but it feels like holding back whatever measures are evidently going to come for political reasons is something that the public may hold against the government in the end. Well, I don't I don't really understand this attitude more generally anyway. Like, where do people think this money is going to come from? It's free. Like, yeah, free like, money, man. We've, we've, we've had quite a lot of free money for quite a long time. Like, yeah. there will be time when the mm. bill, you know, the waiter is going to bring the bill at some point, and we're just going, no, 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 let's have another fucking starter. You, you know what I mean? Get dessert, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the limoncello, yeah. bring more some sushi. Of that out. Like, you know, yeah. you know, you know the one that actually, and this sounds very middle class me, that will build up a bill like that, like nothing else is sushi. You ever been to Yo Sushi? It's one of the most fucking expensive ways to eat you can imagine. Yeah, I'll have a play of that. Play that 24 quid, mate. So if we look at that as Yo Sushi, as a metaphor for exactly what you're saying, which is energy. Yeah, I mean, the Labour plan is the government would essentially fill in the shortfall and keep the price cap as it is. And then, you know, we get around. What are they hoping? That there'll be, you know, well, I guess maybe they're hoping that Ukraine... Will, thing will de-escalate. I don't see any sign of that, sadly, at the moment. Uh, and the energy prices will come down so that by the time the government removed their measures, uh, we might be in a more sensible place. But that is a lot of maybes, I think. Yeah, and this, I think, is a reflection of the fact that a lot of our energy policy, uh, not to get serious for a moment, has been has been ideological, has been driven mm. by this green bollocks. And also, for some reason, what I don't understand, whatever your point of view is on the green side of things, surely the number one solution, and look, my boys with Chernobyl are responsible partly for this, but is nuclear. And yet mm. we're not really, we should have been, I mean, Germany shut down their nuclear power plants, right? Which is one of the reasons they're so dependent on Russia now. And one of the reasons gas prices are so high is because demand is so high. Because if you take energy production capacity offline, well, guess what? You're going to need more of other types of energy. So we should have been investing in nuclear uh, this whole time instead of decommissioning power plants or not building new ones. It, it just doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, and we are going to be paying the price for a lot of this ideological bollocks for a long time now. I mean, when you look at like, so the, yeah, the, there is, it will cost something, right? But I mean, there are, will these pay settlements? So to, so there's an agitating, everyone feels that the, you know, I mean, one of the things I've said last week, actually, is that these are price caps. And the way that the media present it is that you will all be paying the maximum. Again, fucking deeply irresponsible, but it partly helps uh, sort of fuel these demands for higher wage settlements. And the question is, I suppose, and this was the argument that Rishi was making initially, was that these pay settlements might fuel inflation. And I'm caught on that because I think, will they or will they just allow people to pay their bills? You know, will it contribute to, is inflation at such a point because of energy 
that you just need to give people more money to be able to pay these energy bills. Are people going to then, the people who are then already worried about money, are they going to go, hey, some more money, I'll spunk now and go to Cancun. But see, Jeff, sorry to interrupt, but this is a fundamental misunderstanding of where the inflation is coming from. So we had a bunch of economists on our show when COVID first hit, and they all predicted there mm. would be gigantic inflation as a result of the policies that we ended up taking to deal with COVID. This inflation, people want to make it about energy, and of course energy is a big part of it, but it was always going to happen. It was always going to happen. When you print money for 14 years nonstop in a row and have emergency low levels of interest rates, you are going to fuel inflation. And so this inflation is partly about Ukraine and gas and whatever, but mainly, in my opinion, it's about irresponsible policy for 14 years, which is just pretending that, you know, human life is always about everything getting better. Like we, like this, this notion that we're never going to have a reduction in our quality of life. Things mm. are never going to get a bit shit for a while. And because of that, we, we're just like, like we're talking about, you know, the sushi guy is just, he doesn't want to think about the bill. So he just goes, yeah, let's smash some more of that back. Mm. Um, the bill's coming. The bill's here. And uh, it's someone at some point is going to have to, going to have to strap on a pair and do a Thatcher and people are going to hate them. The suit. Can we trademark the sushi principle as for kind mm. of uh, thoughtless uh, public spending without any f- thoughts of future consequences? <laughs> the, yeah. The sushi principle. Um, you know, is it? Po- you can have that one, mate. <laughs> oh, you and you're not going. I'm not that. Pl- I'm not that pleased with it, mate. You, you're not. You're not going anywhere near that. Fair enough. Um, is it partly political as well? I mean, do the left sense a moment here? Like, you get one union come out, you get public sympathy. You know, there's there, the people seem to be broadly on side. You get another another one come out. You know, we know that an election is a year and a half down the way. There's a lot of people that desperately want the toys out. They desperately want to sort of, if not rejoin Europe, sort of like um, have a different relationship, a reset with Europe, and and and. and I'm not saying this is even a conscious act, but they're kind of all brewing at the same time. It's interesting, you know, with the liberal left, right, the centre left, uh, is that the moment Corbyn goes, you, the difference in activity is immediate, you know, like when they really want a Labour government rather than sort of half pretending mm. that they want one. Um, but what you do get... And it's interesting, the gammons are getting rehabilitated right now. Have you seen this? Mick Lynch is out there with mate. his red head. And it's just, and he voted Brexit. On all the left are like, no, 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 we don't care about that now. He's speaking up for the workers. Eddie Dempsey as well. I've got mates yeah. who are contacting me about how much they love Eddie Dempsey. And then I send them the yeah. clip of him giving his left-wing argument for... Uh, Brexit, right? The gammons are back in business. Mate. Well, there's a there's a world in which people like them, and it seems to be that we, you know, like there's certain worlds where you want uh, your employees to be something, you know, like you want to. I was gonna say you want to. This is an incredible thing that's come to mind. You want a busty wench as a barmaid. I'll stand by that. I'll get in trouble for that. There's certain jobs where, on balance, you do though. You do, you like to see you certain do. things when it comes to trade union guy. You like to see a guy that basically looks like if he worked in B and Q, he'd know what kind of insulation you need. Right. Absolutely. That's so, what you want. That's what you're looking for. So but then what you happen is you get a lot of other professions. So rail workers, I think everybody eventually understood. We, you know, there's a lot of questions about how much uh, trained drivers earn, right? That remains. But every, everybody understood the RMT represents a different group of people and a lot of low paid workers. People understood that, right? And then you've got NHS and you've got other people. The moment the barristers come out on strike, it does get a bit more complicated. And I know that obviously there has been a pay freeze in a lot of respects in a certain area of the legal profession. But what it struck me as yesterday was when a lot of these people were on like kind of Nicky Campbell, you know, or on, on five live or on the rolling news channels, you thought, yeah, you don't have a Mick Lynch. <laughs> so there was this, <laughs> there's this woman and then the people ringing in going, but the other day barristers were fucking loads, man. She's like, no, you know, actually a lot of barristers, you know, really, really feeling the pinch at the moment, you know? And I just thought, God, wearing the pashmina was a mistake. And I, I sort of thought maybe, you, uh, if if they've got any sense, if you're a barrister, you would be going right on the WhatsApp group. Have we got any white working class kind of one out all out? You know, just, just employ a fucking actor. Get Ray Spall right. to do it. Everything is so short term now, and then all of a sudden, it's fucking incredible that that you get your kind of mates. They're like, yeah, I kind of love this trade union thing. And 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 on that note, actually, I, w- I wanted your thoughts on this. I, I don't know if you've seen this Enough is Enough movement, um, which does sound a bit abba, doesn't it? 
Is anyone commenting on that? Enough business. It's very camp. I haven't come across this. What is it? Tell uh, me. So it's a collection of kind of trade unionists, uh, quite left-wing Labour MPs, like Zara Sultana's in there, um, and you know, Eddie Dempsey, Mick Lynch, people like this, Dave Ward. And not Dave Ward, the comic, but Dave Ward, the, the union rep. And, and, and what they've got is it's just kind of a populist. And I say this, I, I'm not for me, that's not necessarily a negative. It's a populist left-wing movement. I mean, the sentiment is populist, isn't it? Enough is enough. What? What is hmm. enough is enough. Yeah. And they've got a, a string of sort of demands, one of which is tax the rich. And immediately I'm going, yeah, but then going, how rich? Because, you know, you might, right. some incomes, and I'm not naming names, people might look at what someone earns and think, well, he's doing okay. Is that rich? I just want to be reassured. <laughs> yeah. Where does rich start, right? Uh, well, you know where it starts. It start, starts in the top tax bracket. No, it, I've always thought rich starts at everyone above me. Yeah, <laughs> well, so that that's kind of the same point, really, there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And uh, the thing is, man, this is one of the things coming back from the U.S. is like we tax the rich. We the do. problem that we, we tax and particularly people like me and you who work their ass off just to get anywhere near that top tax bracket. Uh, and and we get effective, we pay half our income basically in tax. Uh, well, I mean, you've got limited company, so maybe not, Jeff, but you know what I mean? Like, um... I mean, I, I, I employ people. <laughs> I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> and, and let's just say, right, for the record, the funny thing about this is there's so many left-wing comics. I can remember even in the even in the Jonglers comedy circuit day. So at this point, right, I do certain jobs. I collaborate with people on things. You know, you have social media managers, right? It, it comes to a point where you, you, you sort of employ people sporadically. Yeah. In the Jonglers era, I would hear left-wing comics up on stage talk about the bankers and the tax avoiders and all this. I'm like, you're a fucking limited company and all you are is a bloke and a fucking Suzuki Swift driving around the country. In what sense are you a company? I've always thought maybe to be a company, you need to have like like a vending machine. Like, you know, maybe Mm. we need like, not, not it's not about earnings or anything. You need to have an office, a vending machine and at least one social gathering a year, like a Christmas party. Well, see, we with trigonometry now. We, in addition to Francis, myself, and our producer Anton, we employ seven other people in in full or part time jobs now. So, I'm at the point where I'm like, look, we are paying, you know, whatever thirty percent or whatever works out as a company, and then you pay fifty percent or whatever effective tax or forty percent on your own income. Like we tax the people who are actually creating jobs and creating wealth in this country quite a lot. Now, you want to talk about the billionaires who. Who, have, who were registered in the fucking Maldives or whatever. Fair enough. Close the loopholes. But taxing people who are who are earning 50 grand a year more yeah. you're all you're going to do is punish the creative side of the of the of the production economy in order to give it to people who are who just go I want more money well I get it I want more money too but someone has got to produce that wealth somewhere yeah especially post covid post brexit i mean that's the delicate thing about this is in terms of wealth creators and entrepreneurs you want them to be motivated and around and sometimes that argument yeah. does get overused but i think you want them around and it's worth saying that you know the top 1% pay 27% of all tax. As you rightly say, there's another aspect of this, and we'll get onto this actually when we talk about your book, is the kind of worst excesses of capitalism where people are actually outside mm. of, you know, the, 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 the taxable incomes. But I do, I suppose, just to, to sort of sign off this section, you, there is a sort of left-wing populism brewing, and it does concern me, but not, not because it's not my politics, but it's just it's anything that's detached from reality. And when you get a movement called Enough is Enough, I think that yeah. that's fighting talk, you know. And when you see kids kicking off in, there's a, there's a way of talking at the moment where people are so emboldened because of how angry they are with the Tories and capitalism. Mm. Is that that I do think that that you know I don't think this country is going to descend into fucking mass civil di- disobedience. But those video clips of people. Because that's what always happens, isn't it? When there's a riot or something like that, you know, whether it was the Mark Duggan thing, which gave way to the London riots, it always starts off with a cause, doesn't it? (laughs) And it ends up with a fucking McDonald's in Nottingham getting looted. 
Okay, just got to hype a couple of things before we get on to uh, uh, talking about Constantine's book. Um, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but I'm recording this on the Tuesday. It's going to go up on Wednesday. Uh, a few more fringe dates, the Wednesday and the Thursday. There might be a couple of tickets for that. Uh, the Friday, the early show on the Saturday is sold out. There's a, a, sh- a late show, but for me, that means 20 past eight in the evening. Uh, and then there's a Sunday show. And the, the last Sunday at the fringe, you'll often get tickets on the day, but just uh, check in. It's been doing this show, I blame the parents. I just don't want to. I, I hope I just want to carry on doing the show because it's exactly it's really fucking annoying with comedy that I just have to stop doing it. But uh, I guess I'd be creatively judged if I just toured the show forever. Um, and then just another reminder about the social media. I've just got, currently got a clip doing well on TikTok, and and that is the place that I'm putting my main video stuff now. You know, uh, I have a recording of the tour show. Constantine looks shocked here. TikTok, yeah, really. Yeah, mate, I'm getting on for 30,000 followers there. I know it's not big league, but I've... Uh... That, that's incredible. But if, well, you mean, why don't you add what well, you me- ki- meant to say, for a guy well, of your age? For a guy of your age, <laughs> that that is very impressive. Yeah, I mean... Oh, mate, I'm not on TikTok. It is. It's very hard. So stand-up, there's, there's certain things that work well. Stand-up, a minute to a minute and a half long, a stand-up clip that has a subject at its heart that people can react to, you know. What I like about it, in a way, is it's very democratic and it's quite working class. The things that do well on TikTok, you know, like on, on BBC comedy, you know, there'll be like, or, or, or kind of mainstream terrestrial, they'll say, all oh, that subject's a bit passe. Whereas on TikTok, if you can do a good modern twist on it, it will fucking smash it. Because, you know, mm. most people sort of think, yeah, men and men do act a bit like that. Women do act a bit like that. So uh, get yourself, I know, I know, shocking assertions, but uh, get yourself over uh, to TikTok. And I promise you, it is not paedophilic behavior to be a man over 40 on TikTok. Well, it, it depends what you look at. See, Jeff, the moment you specify that, everyone thinks, yeah, it actually is. It is a little. Yeah, if you have to say it, there's a problem. Okay. We want to talk about Constantine's fantastic book, which I have finished now, finished last night, uh, An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West. I, I just say this, that it was a Sunday Times bestseller, right? Now, I know... It was indeed. I had, a, I had a book out. Mine just missed out on that. But I know that to get in that list, you know, you have to sell quite a lot of books. I mean, you do learn for having a book out that actually what you think are good numbers compared to podcasts, it's a different world, right? But what counts as good, you have to just accept their word for it. And getting on the Sunday Times bestseller list is, is a massive um, achievement. I think, I think it's a great book. First up, as a former English teacher... I love the way it was written. There was a pride that I had. Now I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. But I just thought it was written well. And I was like, good. You know, I just it sort of reflected the way you speak, which is a mistake a lot of people make when they write a book, is they suddenly think, oh, I've got to suddenly write like evil in fucking war. You know, but it actually sounded like you. But there's so many big takeaways from this. So I just want to go through a few of them with you and pick your brain mm. about them. Immediately, within I think it was about 25 pages, there was a, there was a story that I thought immediately that's going to stay with me um, forever, which is about the Russian boy who dobbed in his family. Can you just explain mm. that to us? So this is a very famous, well-known example of how a, an overwhelmingly powerful state uh, with a very strong ideology tries to separate children from their family in in order to indoctrinate the next generation. And this is a story of Pavlik Morozov, who uh, he witnessed his father, I think, saying something, I can't remember the exact details, but doing something anti-communist, quote-unquote. Mm. And he reported his father to the authorities, and his father was taken away and put in the camp. And I think eventually shot. Um, and the boy, uh, so, and, and this would have happened but perhaps, uh, you know, at points. But the, the point uh, was that this boy was held up as a hero mm. in the Soviet Union. And all children were taught in school about what a great legend this guy was for dobbing his dad in and getting him shot. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is the, the, the extent to which, you know, this sort of indoctrination uh, can be powerful. And of course, you know, my family were, you know, my, when my dad found out that we were being taught this in school, he sort of gave me the other the other version of that story mm. and explained that this guy was basically a little twat. Um, and I, I think he was worried for his own safety there. <laughs> just so you know, that kid is actually an epic prick. I mean, that's what, yeah. they, it's incredible. It just shows how you can twist people's mindset into terms of mm. what is the right thing to do. And, and, and on that note, you know, the stuff you said about where political correctness as a phrase comes from sort of ties into that. But just explain where political correctness came from as an idea. 
Well, political correctness comes from the Soviet Union. It was later adopted by Maoists in China, mm. the other communists. Um, and it never had anything to do with, you know, protecting people's feelings, being respectful, you know, uh, you know, not offending anyone. It never had anything to do with that. Uh, it was a way of saying uh, what you're saying may be true, mm. but it is inconvenient to the party line, to the dogma of the day. And it was a way of enforcing uh, the, the party line on people and forcing them to comply. So um, that's one of the reasons, you know, I think you know me well enough and I think your audience hopefully does as well at this point. I'm not one of these people who were sort of there with Richard Littlejohn and Kelvin McKenzie in the 1990s going, you know, political correctness has gone mad. You can't grab a woman's ass anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not one of those people. But on the other hand, the, the trend for forcing us to censor our speech and thoughts uh, does worry me because I understand where it comes from and the sort of direction of travel is not healthy, in my opinion. I think, no, I think that's right. I think that the key thing there is about asking people to go against what they know to be true for a cause. Mm. And and on that note, I mean, there was a, a... I didn't actually know about this, but there was a story that you quote uh, in, in terms of where the state intervene in thought, you know, and this is where this Orwellian thing comes in. To what extent do they have the right to, to intervene? And it was about a police officer who'd used a racial epithet, but in a private discussion with a WhatsApp message. So he was in a relationship with a, with another man and uh, he'd used the term, I think it was Pikey's, and, and, you know, he made an insinuation about not wanting them in your area or your home, which it's obviously an unpleasant sentiment, right? But it was in a private one-to-one -one, um, WhatsApp message. And he was... Well, tell us what happened to him. Well, so I, I think he was... I don't remember the exact details now because it was a while ago uh, when I wrote that part of it and researched it. But he was... Uh, I think he was uh, investigated and prosecuted, and this happens all the time. Fired from his job, you know. I mean, I was sort of... fired from his job. Yeah, and, and the idea that someone used a derogatory word in a in a WhatsApp message with his ex boyfriend, mm. who's obviously come out and tried to do him like this because of you know romantic issues. Um, that is something that will be used against you. I mean, this is what Bill Burr always talks about. Isn't it? like if they could download all your thoughts on, yes. would you still have a job on Monday? Mm. And we're getting to a point where we literally are downloading all your thoughts and going, no, no, you're not having a job on Monday. Bye. Um, that that should worry everybody. And not because we're all going around calling people pikeys, but because uh, it prevents people from being human. Being human is to is to to break norms, to break rules, to fail, to to say things uh, 20 years ago that are no longer acceptable, mm. to, to make these mistakes. And uh, given that all our lives are now recorded in digital form in some way, for people like us certainly, um, that's a big problem for, for your son's generation and yeah. my son's generation. That's going to be a big issue because if you think back to your childhood, imagine everything you thought and said mm. in that time was recorded in digital form and could be reproduced at will by someone that you went to school with who disagrees with your politics now or whatever. Like, you'd be, you know, we'd all be in a position where we're in a lot of trouble. But I mean, one of the problems is, is that you'll get a reaction probably, you know, among certain aspects of the social justice sort of left that would just say, well, good, that's one less racist in the police force, right? The problem with that is you go, it's all about, you know, setting a boundary for what is the state's role? What is the state's right? Because it, it just, it obviously doesn't stop there. That's the problem, right? Is you can say, well, oh, this happens to favour the way, the things that I particularly value at the moment, but it could be something else. You know, give it 20 years, the culture of the country change. You could say something about the death of the queen and then you could be in trouble for that. I mean, stuff like that has happened. Colonel mm. Tom, you know, people, some people made jokes about his death and they have been prosecuted for social media right. offences. So it's, this isn't a left or a right issue, and you make this point very well. And, and, and I think that um, I think that you you have to be worried about this. I mean, there was a stat that you gave about the amount of prosecutions for um, social media offences comparatively between Russia and Britain. If you could just give us a sense of those numbers. Well, this is something I talked about in Orwell that ends well. So in 2018, which was the year before I did the show, uh, in Russia, 300 people were arrested. Now, to be fair, this year it's going to be a lot higher because mm. a shit ton of people got arrested for protesting. Well, in fact, in Russia, you can get uh, you can get sent to prison for 10 years now for calling what's happening in Ukraine a war. Yeah. Uh, if you say it's a war, you, you'll go to prison. Political correctness, right? Yes, special military operation. Three days. Um, Yes, but, uh, you know, in that year, 
300 people in Russia were arrested for what they said on social media for speech offenses. In Britain, it was over 3,000. Mm. So that, to me, is not a good look for this country. I, I don't think, and uh, and I think that's genuinely something that people should be concerned about, because uh, I don't know if you saw this story uh, while we were away, uh, this f- veteran uh, who'd done three tours in Afghanistan and, and Iraq, uh, he shared a meme which sort of mocked the rainbow flag, mm. and he had the police at his door, and they they said either you confess to this and admit that this is a non-crime hate incident and pay a fine and go on a re-education course. The police are saying to somebody in this country, Mm -hmm. you need to go on a re-education course or we're going to prosecute you. He refused to to pay the fine and and, and go go to the gulag for a course. And so they arrested him. And if it hadn't been for the fact that there were people from the Bad Law Project there who filmed this whole thing, put it out online and made a big stink about it, um, he would have got done for it. And he would have had no recourse because most of the mainstream media don't really want to cover this issue. Um, And so, uh, you know, that is a big problem because it's not going to be people like me, you know, getting arrested or comics or whatever, even though Joe Lysa, he he was investigated for a joke only a few months ago, right? Mm. By the police. I don't know if you saw that. Um, I've still got, I've still got a cheeky tenor on that being another Joe Lysa PR masterstroke, but let's see how it goes. You reckon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You reckon? (laughs) Um, uh, But people do get, people do get investigated for things that they say, including on stage. Um, so, so, but my point is, Joe Lyser or Jeff Norcott or Constantin Kissin, like, if any of us were investigated by the police, we'd probably be able to garner enough support yeah. to, to get help and, and to make sure that we didn't actually get done. Yeah, I'd have to have a new, a new tier for the Patreons. It would be the legal, the legal <laughs> fees tier. You're like, the the, oh funds. shit, I'm in jail tier. Yeah, <laughs> your, your banter about the barristers would come back to bite you. Oh, I mean, no no God, legal aid the, for you the, then. The incredible work they do, I should just add. Whatever the, the, yeah, the, the, all that Pashmina banter is going to cost you, mate. Look, they should pay them as much as nurses, in my view. Well, that fuck all you mean. <laughs> But I mean, no, I, I think that I think you've got to be worried about this. And it's funny because the left often say, well, you know, some of the stuff happening in this country, I just don't recognize this country anymore. And a lot of that, I sometimes find is kind of hyperbolic. And that will come to a point that I mentioned next. But this, this stuff is like, this is a real kind of a, a legislative move. These, these are real things happening where some of the other stuff is, is about perception. And on that note, I mean, one of the interesting things about uh, uh, immigration is, is you point to this fact that Brit- Britons, Brits have a more positive attitude towards immigration than pretty much anyone else in Europe, right? That has actually improved since Brexit because guess what? There was an interesting article which I shared on my Twitter is actually the immigration side of Brexit has been, I mean, I mean, obviously the stuff that's happened in channel crossings is one issue, but it sort of delivered on what it said, which was not that necessarily immigration would just disappear but that you would have control and it would broaden um, to the rest of the world. If you And if you look at the way uh, the polls have moved, that's absolutely been recognised. People feel reassured that there is some degree of control, whether or not that really exists, but for the time being. Uh, uh, thing- yeah, that's the point I was going to make, Jeff. I don't know that... I, I think people feel like their strength of feeling about that issue was heard and reflected and Brexit finally being sealed and done. Mm. But I think when they sort of see that actually the issue isn't under control, which is absolutely not, the, the numbers are continually very, very high. Uh, you may but the, the public, a lot of the public support that because they're aware of, of certain uh, shortages in, in, in kind of yeah, low paid jobs, true. which still to me is a yeah. moral fucking quagmire that you kind of go, let's bring over these economic umpalumpas to do the shit jobs. I still find that blows my mind that that's the way that Western economies work. But maybe, you know. Well, right. The morality of, of depriving Bulgaria and Romania of doctors and nurses so they can wait our tables and clean our toilets i mean there is a there's something suspect about that mm. uh in my opinion but you know let's not get into uh, the, the deeply racist views i have about this <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there's some stuff we shouldn't go under but the speaking of deeply racist views i mean a lot of it is about framing who says what right like you know it's like a lot of people say this or that about gb news you go well what exactly was it that was said that you didn't like or or certain comics on our side of the fence and often say well they say oh you know but i just can't deal with that guy but what did he say what's the thing that he said or is it just a sense right and 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 on that note i mean you point to uh obama i mean having had aisha has a record it feels like this is the anti-obama podcast now but some of his public pronouncements on immigration 
were pretty heavy duty. I mean, you could literally put them in a kind of like a ukipper's mouth and stuff, and people people probably wouldn't raise any questions. They wouldn't. I mean, I mean, have you got any examples of, of some of the things that he said in public about immigration? Well, yeah, he said, uh, "Don't send your children here; where they will not be allowed in uh, unaccompanied." Uh, there is a queue for legal immigration, and illegal immigration is people skipping that queue. Mm. We're a nation of laws. Uh, this is the the point, Jeff. Up until about 2014, 2015, the idea that countries should have borders was kind of uncontroversial mm. in to most people. Uh, and so, you know, I said jokingly my racist views. Like as an immigrant, I went through the immigration system. I talk, by the way, as you know, in the book about some of the difficulties with that and experiencing, you know, I, my wife and I got a letter saying you've got like two weeks to leave the country yeah, at one point because yeah. some, some idiot at the home office made a mistake with the paperwork. Uh, and we had to spend uh, a year and a half appealing that decision and being like, shit, are we going to have to, you know, mm. leave the country we've made our home in and stuff like that. So I'm not someone who's like the immigration system is perfect. But on the other hand, I am genuinely resentful that I I followed all the rules and millions of people like me followed all the rules. And yet you've got people coming uh, across the channel on boats without any checks at all. We have no idea who these people mm. are. And as an immigrant, I can tell you the people who are likely to get on a boat and, and, and cross the channel uh, as refugees from war-torn France, they're, they're not necessarily the best people from that country. Like if I knew that a, sh a bunch of Russians were coming in from Russia on those boats, I'd be there myself fucking popping those boats on the way because I'd be like, this is probably the dregs of Russian society coming in. Mm. Now, there will be some genuine refugees fleeing war and conflict and so on, and I understand that. But the idea that people should be streaming into this country completely illegally... I mean, when millions of people follow the rules, to me, that, that, that's that's abhorrent to me. I don't understand how people think that's normal. No, because it comes down to a lot of uh, sentiment, you know, among progressives, which is just stuff that feels nice to say. You know, it, it yeah. feels nice to say, doesn't it? Hey, oh, look, I remember, I remember seeing a tweet at the beginning of this year, like, let, let's start the 2022 with the right energy, open borders. I go, I, you know what? Yeah, I would, I would love to actually have uh, 10 days of open borders. So you see how quickly you'll be you'll be the first one fucking crying and sucking your thumb in the corner of the room as there's like people climbing walls like fucking that remember that film World War Z where there's a huge mm. human chain of people and, and because the the one thing that people often question whether it's gender uh, you know or, or masculine or, or is is or capitalism they sort of forget that things came to be for a reason right they, they just act like these these fucking arbitrary things well we just drew these lines in a place man what does it all mean you go well it sort of existed for a while it might be worth interrogating um mm. why and and again what particularly bugs me is just this framing thing well the wrong person said that whereas obama i mean i think if i'm not uh, mistaken i mean obviously we know about the drone strikes thing with obama uh but yeah like the deportations under him were, were incredibly high uh for a long time but hey he said nice things in a nice way um, Deportations we can believe in. The, the change is on the way. I, you're going back to Guatemala. Mm. Okay, we just got a couple of ball. Jeff, can I just say that is an atrocious Obama accent, it's, and you know I love it's you. It's a caricature. It's a loose approximation <laughs> of of, very, of, very of, loose. of a noise. Uh, we just got a couple of uh, urgent board questions here for um, uh, one, one that sort of relates to the book. So I'll ask this one first. Um, Constantine. Jeff, have you even said the name of my book yet? Have an Immigrant's Love Letter to the West. There you go. Oh, Jesus Christ, got the fucking lawyers out. You've changed, man. <laughs> You've changed since you went on Joe Rogan. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff uh, and Constantine. It's popular to give the West a kick in and saying that we're living through uh, the worst of times. But five minutes studying history shows that we've always done that. Things have always been a little bit shit, apparently. Do you think, um, however, this way it changed this, and, and you, you kind of back this up about the, the collective effects of uh, capitalism in reducing poverty, pestilence, famine, war, all these things, right? Which people just never fucking accept, but it's true. Um, but what he goes on to say, this is from James Rogers, is do you think our moaning provides the creative tension needed to make this place actually pretty good and is one of our strengths. So is the moaning intrinsic? He's saying it's always been there. 
you know, even when we're in our thrusting periods of, 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 of kind of like the industrial revolution, you know, I mean, there was... Was there moaning during the imperial days? I don't know that there was as much moaning. I mean, well, I, I mean, around. if you were in a famine somewhere, probably. Hey, lefty joke, lefty joke. Alert, alert. Hey. The old woman, if you were stealing stuff from museums, hey? Yeah, God, if you were one of the oppressed groups, you know. It does feel good to yeah. say that stuff, by the way, though. You know? Yeah, oh, of course. When it you does say that. the yeah, you, you, yeah, if you're stealing the fucking Elgin marbles, right? Um, so I don't know about that. Look, I'll be honest with you. What seeing the way people do things in America really opened my eyes just to how constraining some of our attitudes are in Britain about this mm. stuff. You know what I mean? Like this tall poppy syndrome, the endless sort of we are the worst people. It, it affects you. And and plus the tax system, as we talked about. So, um, no, I don't, I don't think it, it provides that, that spark of creativity. I think uh, I am inspired by people who just go for it. And mm. um, to, to me, I, I think we need more of that in the UK. Yeah, I mean, honest. let's be fair. Asking that question of the guy that wrote the immigrants love letter to the West. Is that enough? Have we done? I didn't realise we had a, a contract <laughs> on this thing. Uh, just one quick question, because I want to get to a general listener question. This is a very, yeah, very yeah. quick answer, if you could. Hi, Jeff. Could you ask Constantine his thoughts on Putin in regarding to him being removed from power? Would that be a good thing or just another and a Putin-esque type dictator would take over? And that's from Roy Burdett. Just a quick answer. Well, yeah, I mean, this is one of the naive things about... A quick answer the, for a very the... fucking complex question. <laughs> yeah, right. It's one of the things that people were saying, to begin, well, I could we just get... It's like they think that if you get rid of Putin, it's like Nick Clegg is going to pop out and just like, take over <laughs> Russia. Like, that probably won't happen. But look, it depends on the circumstances. So, like, if the West were to assassinate Vladimir Putin, that, that would probably mean someone even more hardline came in. Mm. Whereas if he was just to, you know, just have a gentle heart attack and just shuffle off this mortal call on his own... Yeah. I think there'll be quite a few people in, in the Russian power structures be like, look, the Ukraine thing isn't quite going as well as we thought. Should we just like blame it all on him and just like pull back? Mm. Because that's what happened with Stalin. Once I, you know this because you've read the book. When Stalin died, he everybody cried and thought this was like the end of the Soviet Union and he was this great leader. And then a few days later, everyone, everyone he was a bit of a cunt, wasn't he? And they sort of moved on. You know what I mean? So I think if it was to occur naturally, particularly when the special military operation is not going well, that would probably be quite a good thing. And there are a few rumors flying about that he's got, you know, stage four cancer or whatever. Mm. Who knows? So uh, who knows? Uh I mean, yeah, one of the most complex questions facing the world today, and you've got me to answer in two sentences. Thanks. Well, I would say this, and one thing you said about, I mean, Stalin was a bit of a cunt. I think that there might be a historical understatement, from, from just from where I'm, yeah. I'm standing. Okay, we've got one letter here. This is from Al. So if you've got letters on general stuff, I mean, obviously, if you're a patron, you get a main line in. I'll always see that immediately. But I check the emails. Send me, you know, I check the emails often enough. Uh, so he's got a bit of a, a technique here. Uh, he talks about a wedding. So he came up to see me at the Fringe on the 14th of August. And he said, our trip was made possible. This is Al, by the way, by choosing to chin off a wedding. I was invited to. I like that phrase, chin it off. Um, I bet half seemed to think this was a bit harsh, but I'm wondering if I'm the only man that assigns a score to such things to help decide if I'm going or not, right? Uh, it was on a Thursday. I mean, a wedding on a Thursday. That's got to be minus, right? Um, I know them only quite well. And uh, this sounds like a guy's trying to come up. Only quite yeah, well. Was... He's trying to talk himself yeah. around to basically missing his best mate's wedding. This is he? a guy that wanted to see old Uncle Jeff at the fringe, I'm thinking. Uh, it's only 30 minutes away. Uh, yeah, that isn't that far for a wedding. Uh, but no free bar. But you're saving on petrol here. Um, they've spent all their money on a posh venue while saving on a midweek slot. I mean, that is an issue, isn't it? Sometimes where people go, okay, we hope you can join us for our wedding uh, on Sunday, you know, in the Isle of Wight. You go, fucking arseholes. So, um, so he already felt resentment. And, and so he's come up with a decision not to go to the wedding. Uh, email in what most people think, uk at gmail.com. It sounds to me like these are the arguments that you've had to make to your wife at length for why you want to go on the piss at the Edinburgh Fringe. I mean, is it... And they're really not that strong, I have to say, mate. You, 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 you've not done well there. Think of something better. I mean, like, the, the centres, I know them only quite well. I mean, let's take out the word only out of that because it feels redundant. So you could say, I know them quite well and it's only 30 minutes away. That feels like quite a strong reason. Look, I, I'll take the ticket sales all day long. If you'd have asked me this question in advance, I said, fuck those guys. You only know them quite well. 
Um, <laughs> and it's for 30 minutes away. I mean, mate, I'm not going to lie. I think this 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 gentleman ha- hasn't got a leg to stand on, and his missus is right to be angry with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want don't want to be too extreme, but uh, she should probably be looking for another relationship. Okay, that is the end of uh, this week's podcast. Constantine Kissing, thank you so much for coming on. And genuinely, an immigrant's love letter to the West. I mean, it's been doing great for sales. Uh, obviously, people like Douglas Murray uh, uh, and a lot of people on this side of thinking have, have said good things about it. So get yourself uh, on Amazon. It's just very readable, do you know what I mean? And, and there's uh, there's so much stuff there that I would love to have got to. Uh, but it just immediately, like I said, within a few pages, that fable about the Russian boy will stick with me forever. And there's plenty of stuff like that. And Mate, you get you gave you gave it a plug like the guy we just talked about it it's it's uh, it's it's quite readable and only 30 pages long it's no <laughs> Look, to me right you it's no, quite no no short. no I'm, I'm giving you the highest praise ever you've come in at a length right i've got this theory about films that um 90 minutes maximum mm. Two hours if it's really good, and you can only go over two hours if it's a historical epic that will make you cry, all right? So yours comes in, I think, at that... You know, like when you're watching another comic do a Fringe show, and then you look down at your watch at 35 minutes, you go, for fuck's sake. Yours come in, I didn't check my watch in terms of a reading sense. And I know that might seem like scant praise, but that is the highest praise I can give. And I would genuinely recommend every single listener uh, to get yourself on Amazon and buy it. Because also the sentiment of it, like you say, we're always sitting there acting like we live in the worst place in the world and there's no reason to want to live here. It's, an, it's a genuinely radical act. The title itself, you know, is both provocative, but it shouldn't really be. So well done on the book, mate. Uh, thanks for appearing on the podcast. And uh, I will see everybody else next week. Cheers, Constantine. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you.